Welcome to Create New Futures, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, experts, and interesting minds. Join us as we explore ideas and reflect on practices that you can use and apply to create and shape the future. With your host, author and strategy consultant, Aviv Shahar. This is Aviv, and welcome to this podcast episode of Create New Futures, where we engage in conversations with leaders, experts, and with interesting people about ideas and insights to help you create your new future. A core premise of Create New Futures, the book I recently published, is that you first have the power to shape and indeed create your future. And second, that unless you step up to shape your future, you leave yourself at the mercy of events and surrender your power to everyone else around you and to everything else around you to create and shape for you your future. And the third core premise is that the way we humans create the future is through conversations. We therefore in the book and in these podcasts, focus on conversations to demonstrate, to explore, and to discover how we can facilitate and enable breakthroughs that lead to new possibilities. This is essentially what I do in my consulting work with senior leadership teams. I help them create their business and organizational future by choreographing conversations that spark and lead to innovation and unleash growth. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Alice Latino. Alice and I first met 14 years ago when she was the regional director at Emeritus Assisted Living. And we've collaborated and worked together and I've led a number of uh, workshops for her team and for other teams at Emeritus. Even as a very small child, Alice has always had an incredible love for the elderly. Her relationship with her grandparents is something she has always treasured, and it truly shaped her life into one of gratitude and a desire to help. She brought this passion with her throughout her life and launched into a career to make a difference in the lives of seniors. With an MBA from the University of Alabama and a Bachelor of Business Administration from the University of Montevallo, her love and dedication to the lives of seniors brought her to work with Emeritus Senior Living, serving in various capacities for over 17 years, including Vice President of Operations. She positively impacted both the quality care that was delivered and the profit metrics within her divisions of 60 properties and over 5,000 units. In 2004, she co-launched with her husband, Heavenly Care Home Health and Heavenly Care Moving. These Austin-based companies lead with the mission of creating home care and moving solutions by offering private duty medical and non-medical home care and both local and nationwide. 
with 20 years of experience in healthcare management and in leadership roles, this provides Alice with a very unique background. And I'm excited that we can explore some of her experience and insight and exchange about these ideas on this podcast today. Welcome, Alice. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Uh, it's, it's really a privilege. And uh, just to be able to spend some time discussing your incredible new book and everything that it's setting up and is and can and uh, is able to offer. Did I miss anything in your background that, that first uh, we, we should attend to? No, not at all. Okay, great. So uh, this, this podcast is a series of episodes where we are launching and introducing, uh, as you know, my recently published uh, book, Create New Futures. And, and I'm first, you and I have not discussed this since uh, you had a chance to read the book. And so my first question is, what inspired you the most? What uh, got your attention as you started reading Create New Futures? That's a great question. You know, probably the biggest thing as I flipped through it was quickly realizing that no matter where I stop in your book, I'm going to immediately be able to engage in any portion of it. And to me, you know, I, I love to read books and, and uh, it, you know, it, it, I just love the feel of a book. I love to read a book, but there's very few books that you can pick up and look at it in any different arena and it have instant value. So I immediately saw that and it was exciting to me because again, um, being able to put it down, do something else and be able to pick it back up and immediately have value really was, was wonderful from the beginning. And then the, as I began reading, I, I think that, you know, part of what you had discussed in terms of just one of your first couple of stories, the whole mental mindset and challenging that and rethinking that um, was an immediate grabber. It just really kind of set me straight and it immediately helped me to kind of say, yes, yes, I need, I need this. I need to keep reading more about that. And the, I, I think the other thing was just the, the conversation of the, the fact that a conversation is currency and, and in work it, it is. And I think that for me personally was a wonderful way to step back and realize that maybe my own mental mindset of how I've been approaching conversations in the workplace uh, it, it immediately changed as I read those couple of chapters instead of, oh, I have to do this conversation or I need to make, I need to have this conversation turned into, wow, I get to have this conversation and this is what it, this is what it could be. I can reframe it and this is what it can create. That's really exciting. And in a minute, I will uh, remind you of a coaching discussion you and I have had uh, 11 years ago, I think, that directly relates to what you uh, told there in, in the last part. But let me take the first point you made, because this is exactly how I intended for the book to be used. I never wanted this book to just be read from cover to cover straight as a formulaic 
definition that you have to follow these steps and that will lead you to the next step and that will lead you to the next step after that, which is how often business books are written. Mm-hmm. My, hope, my hope was my desire and my effort in writing this was today, younger generations, they don't follow an A to Z type of a, an approach. They like to open wherever they, they are drawn to open and double click what's interesting. And that's why I didn't call these chapters, but rather portals. Right. And the aspiration was that you'll be able to read a page or two or three, and there will be something that will intrigue you challenge you, inspire you, and that you'll say, I need to put the book down actually right now because I need to immediately implement this in action. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting for me to, to hear that from you. The, the second point you made was around the idea of mental model, which uh, I define slightly different actually to mindset, and I make the distinction. Mental model in this sense is the operating system that, um, and I use the metaphor of the operating system within which you think, reflect, uh, makes you, you make choices and determinations and ultimately act. And, and what I'm proposing that as we go through life, as we journey through our different roles, we are forced and uh, preferably we choose to, but if we don't choose, we are forced to change and update our Mm-hmm. Model and, I, and in a minute, I'll ask you about one or two examples in your journey um, when you were able to or, or needed to change your, your mental model. So that was your second point. And your third point is really the essence of the initial message in the book, which is that conversation is currency. Mm-hmm. As a leader, you are known for the conversations you create. And as a leader, your responsibility is to ask, what is the conversation we should be in? And, and when, when you find yourself halfway through a meeting or even five minutes into the meeting, you should ask, is this the conversation we should be in? Or is there a more critical, more mission critical conversation we must now address? And if this is indeed the conversation we should be in, should we approach this conversation differently? Mm-hmm. And that game changer, that recognition, that as a leader, whether you have two people working with you or 2,000 or 20,000 people working for you, you are known as a leader for the conversations that you frame. And ultimately, the organization you lead is an organization because of the collective conversations they have. That is what connects together those individuals and make them an organization. It's the the meaning they make, the meaning they create in the conversations, and as a result, the action that's mobilized by these conversations that ultimately deliver the value, the experience, the business outcomes, the service to customers and clients, as a result of how we connect those ideas and what we are here to do, and the mission that we're here to serve. Uh, so I'm excited that this idea uh, captured uh, you as you read the book. Absolutely. And it was like you said, immediately when I read those first two concepts, I had to set it aside and say, this is something that needs to be implemented right now. 
So give me an example of either this or any other idea or concept that you mm-hmm. said, this is something that I, I have to apply and how uh, have you started? Because I know it's only been a couple of days since you, you got the book, but what, what are your early thoughts about how you're going to apply some of these ideas? Well, because the book lends itself to going from one spot to the other, another concept that I readily jumped on to was the debriefing. And of course, you know, I'd, I've had the privilege and honor just to, to listen to some of your previous podcasts and uh, Emerald Keys and, and just working with you. And so I know about your uh, debriefing and the, and the power that you want to make sure that we are walking away with a learning And so when I read that portion, I immediately connected to it, but then I took it a step further uh, with my own team. And so, you know, obviously working with Emeritus was um, very big, you know, bigger corporation. And, and now we have a, a smaller company. We have two companies, but, you know, they're, they're much smaller. So the debriefing it can be even more powerful because, um, You're just right in it, and I'll talk about that a little bit more later. But so the debriefing concept and practice we've put into place in our weekly meetings, uh, where we just take a little bit of time at the end of the meeting and say, "You know, let's pull out um, our you know what's worked well. Um, let's take the fact that we just discussed some operational challenges where we dropped the ball. And, you know, what did we learn from them instead of just rushing into fix mode, Aviv, which is what we all do, right? We're fixers. We got to get it done and we got to fix it right now. And we're slowing down a little bit to just debrief why it happened, what the learning there is from it, and then on we go. So that's one. Um, I, I think the other that is immediately apparent as a, an ability to quickly do this is the whole busyness trap. Where um, once I've read through this book, I've started restarted my morning routine of just slowing down before I just shoom, take off and wonder later what the heck just happened. It's <laughs> two <laughs> o'clock and I have to run now. But you know that whole thing. And so it, there's so much power in it, but you you it's so easy to uh, wander away from it and it's so powerful to step back into it and you realize oh my goodness this is this is a game changer yeah great one one idea that that uh, to share with you that you may want to try and experiment with because what you see uh, I'm now demonstrating how I listen to what you say I listen to the details and to the big picture And you shared with me that you do the debrief at the end of your weekly meetings. Mm-hmm. You ask what worked well towards the end of the meeting. I'd encourage that you try a couple of meetings where you do that on the front end. Wow. Because we adults, and I talk in the, in the book about the, what I call the law of the tree, which is that we grow from our roots and from the mm-hmm. trunk. So we, and and the, the analogy is that we grow from our strength. And if we can ask ourselves first what's working well 
and and where are we catching ourselves doing the right things and build that bring that intelligence and that insight into the foreground and and give that presence that in the collective presence of us together as a team then when you deal with the challenges and the problems and what need what's need to what needs to be fixed then some of the solutions will already be present in the room i'm always a I've always believe that when you teach the greatest teachers what they do is they drop the hints to the answers to the problems they will present a few minutes later Mm-hmm. So, that, so that people can connect in the, the back of the mind, the, the dots. When you are with your team, you have to do this with your team together, which is ask them, what are we doing really well? What has, you know, what worked extremely well this week or this month? This month? How have we addressed challenges this week in a new and better way? And if you spend the first 15, 20 minutes around that, and then you move and shift to where are the problems we need to fix now? Mm-hmm. I wonder if you want to uh, find that, that some of the solutions and the ideas, the, the innovative ideas will, be, will show up even faster. Yeah, that's incredible. That I, I think that that's very good advice and we can easily do that. I can see the value in that. The second point you made was around slowing down. And uh, in the book, I discussed the, the mode of action and reflection and show the visual of how in today's work space, people have created a 24-7 crowded action space that leaves them very little time to be deliberative, to be reflective. And, you know, it's a, it's a very strange thing you think about it, I'll step back for a minute to, to um, offer a historic reflection here. So in the late 80s, early 90s, with, with um, the onset of the computing revolution, we essentially, Peter Drucker then said and others, that we were moving into the idea of knowledge workers. People were going to be, become knowledge workers because every person... Um, would now have their computers and, and would essentially have tremendous amount of knowledge at, at the fingertips. But what has happened is that technology took over. And instead of we manage technology, we often have scenarios, and I work with many large companies where technology manage people instead of people manage the technology. And an even more critical problem is that we have become slave we have been enslaved by technology and, uh, and how our, the brain science of that and how we are triggered by technology to a point that we have to check technology all the time and we are all the time on and there is no longer the space to be engaged in deliberative conversation. And that's a risk. It's a, it's a risk because People get dumbed down, conversations therefore get diluted, and we are not the kind of knowledge worker workers and, and even the wisdom workers that we were meant to now become. Mm-hmm. I think it's a it's a huge reflection on the condition of society and of the workspace. And that takes me to one of those coaching conversations. I don't know if you remember that 
we were having our weekly coaching conversation and you shared with me, uh, you, I think you were just transitioning to a new role and you took a new member on your team and you've had some difficulty with that one member. Right. And um, you said that whatever you tried in terms of conversation strategy with that person, somehow there was always a challenge. And we talked about it and debriefed it in depth. Mm-hmm. And what we actually devised as a strategy was to break out of the routine of you going from meeting to meeting. Mm-hmm. And we decided that the strategy for you was to make sure you, you were able to take seven or 10 minutes before that meeting. And you were to not just get yourself refreshed and energized, but to say, okay, what is it I want to achieve in this meeting? What will success in this meeting look like? What will be the successful outcome? And mm-hmm. get centered in that and then say, so how would I want to approach this meeting? And what, what we discovered, and I remember you sharing with me this epiphany, that the challenge was essentially not with the other person, but it was about you centering yourself in your power, mm-hmm. in your clarity of mind, in your presence. And when you are centered in your presence, in your clarity, in what it is you're trying to achieve, in what is the outcome you're trying to encourage in the other person, all of a sudden, not that, not just that you're able to achieve what you wanted to achieve, but you're able to achieve it instead of in, in 45 minutes, maybe in 20 minutes or 25 right. minutes. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and we actually talked about it in terms of if you show up for the meeting with 200 volts of clarity mm-hmm. and, and you meet the, the generalized, general, you know, 50 or 70 percent of, of volts in that analogy of power. Because what we said, mm-hmm. clarity, clarity in, in this metaphor of voltage is a kind of clarity. Because if we say that conversation is the currency, mm-hmm. then the clarity of thought and the clarity of intent is the voltage power that guides the currency of that conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember the, the excitement and, and you sharing with me how powerful that was. I don't know if you remember the specific, but I do remember that uh, very clearly. I do. I do. I also, I very, I very much remember that. And, and I also learned about myself, those, um, you know, levers of um, what I basically had that I knew that here's my first area of what I can withstand. And then here's the next level of, you know, when this happens, now I'm going to bring this level of voltage to the conversation. And then, you know, I I kind of realized where my three marks were in terms of managing that individual and so, or any individual. Right. Right. And what we're discussing now is for anybody listening it, and there are so many people in business, in large and small companies, they go from meeting to meeting. And I urge them, if you do our meetings, don't do our meetings, do 45 or 50 minutes uh-huh. and take the 10 minutes, not just for uh, your bio break, but also to think and clarify your thinking process. What is it you're trying to achieve in the next meeting? If you show up with clarity, you typically will already stand out. 
because most people run mm -hmm. in, in a semi-foggy state about what it is they're trying to do, or the worst condition is they're in the now, but they're thinking about what they need to do next. Right. I call this the, uh, the purgatory um, uh, of anxious preoccupation with the next instead of being fully present in the here and now. So we all should be fully present in the here and now and then take space and, and carve those um, breaks and spaces between meetings to think because mm -hmm. even all knowledge workers and leaders, we are actually supposed, we're supposed to think and be deliberative and reflective. And when you enter the meeting, you, you ought to think, well, what just worked well in this meeting? Mm -hmm. What will I do? What will I, what will I do again, like I did in this meeting? But what will I change mm -hmm. to make it even better next meeting? Which is the power of debrief that you talked about that I discussed in the book, which I I you know experienced and got drilled into me in my Air Force training. So let me ask you, because you have had the opportunity to to lead, as we said, large teams. What were some of the guiding principles that you operated by when you led large teams that you then either took forward or needed to update as you moved to launch your own company with your husband? Mm -hmm. that's, that's, a, that's a very good question. Very thought-provoking question. And, you know, I, I have to say, um, through reading the book and, and through being able just to communicate with you over the last um, 12 years, you know, there are definitely principles that, that come up. Um, if, if I were to, if I were to look at it really big picture, one, one analogy that comes to mind is when I was with the bigger company um, from a strategic perspective, it was very critical to have a lot of time building and developing strategy. And then, you know, you work the strategy and it was much like a chessboard. So where you're overlooking the entire chessboard and all the pieces and, and um, you know, moving this lever or this piece, this, you know, whether it's a rook or a pawn or whatever, you know, the analogy is a big, you know, is a chessboard. And at times you might have multiple chessboards. But, you know, the, the chessboard's a good analogy. And, and once I went from that larger business to the this, this smaller company, that day-to-day, -day, I literally have to mentally shift from being on the chessboard, you know, as a piece, working as, a, as one of those individual chess pieces, and then visually lift myself out so that I can again look at the entire chessboard because if I do not lift myself out, then I just um, just become one of those individuals that I used to manage at Emeritus. And so, to answer your question, you know, I, I think that 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 part that we're talking about the reflection versus the action, I've come to value that so much more. Because what I would do as an, you know, as a vice president at Emeritus in terms of just going, well, let's just sit down and look at the strategy. Here's the answer. It's so clear. It's so easy. Uh, now I'm reminded very 
very much in a humble kind of way that, you know, it's a little more, it it can be a little bit more complicated uh, when you're literally in the day-to-day fire. And so it's a humbling experience for me. It's a rewarding experience for me because I'm a lot closer to what you initially said um, is why I'm doing what I'm doing. I love old people. I love being around them, um, whether they're you know, happy or mad or sad. I just love them. And so I get to be around them a lot more. And so that fuels me. Um, but to take it back to that, you know, reflection versus action, it, it is so critical. And, and uh, even, you know, to me at this level, because I've seen a, a, a bigger company and, and how um, that can work, it, it's, um, I don't think that I would have been able to operate as successfully opening our own businesses like this had I not been through um, some of those key learnings from you that I could step back and and think from. Right. This is a fascinating idea and an insight. And what you're describing, you probably did not have a chance to get to it yet. But later in the book, I discussed the three-story house mental model. And the mental model of the three-story house essentially describes a picture where on the ground floor, you work in the business. That's right. I do remember that. On the second floor, you work on the business. Mm -hmm. And I suggest that you have to extract yourself as a leader Mm -hmm. from the ground floor working in the business to the second floor working on the business and then also find the time to climb to the third floor, which is where you work on you. I'm going to go deeper into that mental model in on another episode, but it, it's right on the money. Uh, what you're describing, you now have to operate at those multiple levels, mm-hmm. and um, and and make the the determination. And and there is no one else to uh, enforce that discipline of thought and discipline of clarity to shift from working in the business to working on the business, but you yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, very curious to ask you, Ali. So what do you miss the most from the experience of having worked for 17 years in a large company? Mm -hmm. And what do you enjoy the most now that you run your own company? You may have answered this question in, in, in your in what you just said, but I'm interested if, if there is more that you will uh, reflect uh, on these these two sides of, of the equation, of your experience. I think I miss the teams that a larger corporation in terms of peers, you know, that just as you said, you know, you, you have to be your own discipline. And I, I think by nature, you know, we are disciplined, but you, I, I, I miss the ability to brainstorm um, with the individuals that are doing what I'm doing every day, because there is a lot of synergy. There's a lot of energy. There's a lot of um, opportunities that, you know, that can be unlocked even, and I know that even within my own team, um, but there's a different 
level of, of conversation. So I miss that piece. And um, I enjoy being able to be at the pulse of what's so important to me from a um, passionate purpose perspective. So from being able to actually connect with that caregiver that is working so hard to make ends meet, to lift them up, uh, because it is a calling and that's who we look for. I think that's another uh, principle, a guided principle is that looking for people that are passionate about what we do. I've carried that with me from emeritus to now you're looking for that passion. And so to be able to find that at a level that's even more um, impactful. So this caregiver is taking care of this client and the relationship that they have, I can be right in there with it. And there's not, you know, there's not much more joy um, from owning your own business than you can actually see it firsthand. And the difference that when you do those things well, you do a good match uh, and you're actually delivering a higher quality of life to the client, but also to the caregiver. You know, you, you can talk about that, right, when you're in a, a bigger, you know, company. But um, being able to deliver on that isn't as readily available because you have more hats to wear and you're kind of going all over the place. But here I can easily jump right in and fill my bucket and then jump right out. Right. Um, fascinating story, and at, at some point in the future, I'd like for us to do another separate conversation where we can go deep on the future of um, elderly care and, and where that space and, and um, that industry, that I don't know that I like the word industry, but that space, where how is it evolving and where will it um, be 5, 10, 15 years from now? Um, and, and explore that because what, what I look to do in these conversations is, is explore any and every aspect of the future. Um, let me ask you one last question for, for today, today's conversation, which is, so you have co-founded and I think you co-lead two businesses with, with your husband, mm-hmm. two sides of, of the business. What are some lessons? What are some learnings? What are some insights about running a family business, the, the two of you and leading two businesses, what, what are some uh, insights that you'd share with us uh, from that experience? I, I think that it's very critical to have active listening <laughs> with your partner, right. even, though, even though you already think you know the answer. Um, that's probably been a a lifesaver for me right? to zip it and really try to listen to what he's bringing to the table because we are both very type A. And, and I think you mentioned it earlier, how do we grow from our strengths? And so I think when you lead with that and sit down and say, you know, what are you good at? What am I good at? What do I think I'm good at? right? Because I think I'm good at some things where my husband's like, you're crazy. But once we kind of get on the same page, then then it's more fun because then I, I get to engage in the things that we both kind of agreed uh, that, you know, we feel that is my strength. And so then we're not working against each other, but we're working um, for each other. And then, you know, so kind of creating those, um, the rule book, if you will, 
and uh, that would be the second thing is is to you know create that and and it's uh, and and have fun right well why are we doing this if we're not doing it for a greater purpose so keeping the mission and the vision and the purpose the MVP uh, is is critical too because when when uh, it gets stressful you lean back on that and and it gets you through the hard times right and you have three children correct yes so uh, you are truly the the soul of America. You are the embodiment of of the American dream in in the best sense of it. You're running two successful and thriving businesses, you and your husband, um, and you are raising three children and you're living a highly active uh, life and you're contributing to your community and, and you're doing all of the above and having fun how do you do all that? Uh, reflection and then action. <laughs> I love it. Um, great. <laughs> and and uh, prayer. And prayer. Yes, indeed. Well, this has been a, a great um, exploration today. Thank you so much. Uh, for your open and transparent uh, sharing and disclosure uh, and exploration on, on this uh, episode of Create New Futures. And I look forward to have another one of those conversations in the future. Thank you, Aviv, for writing the book.